Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of the PhD cast by the Cebus GPA. Today, I'm joined by Megan and Nate, along with two special guests, Dr. Smallwood and Dr. Kuwatna. Could you guys give us a little introduction on yourselves? Sure. I am an ORISE postdoctoral fellow at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences, which is associated with Walter Reed, working with tissue engineering approaches for volumetric loss. And I graduated from RPI with my PhD in biomedical engineering on May, May 2020. And you guys know me from past episodes. Uh, I'm Anna Smallwood. Uh, I am kind of tuning in virtually because I am in the San Francisco Bay Area. I graduated from RPI in December of 2020 from the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology. Um, And I am currently working as an intellectual property practice specialist for Jones Day, which is like a worldwide um, law firm uh, in Silicon Valley. So now, Joppa, I I have the pleasure of knowing you from working with you in lab. Could you tell me a little bit about transitioning from our lab into the field you're in now at O-Rise? So what's really interesting in here at Walter Reed is they do a lot more animal models than what I've done in RPI, which was all in vitro, all cell work. So the transition has been it's been fun. I didn't realize how many regula- regulations and trainings, how much IACUC and uh, IRBs can be just slightly frustrating compared to like cell work where you know you can just handle the cells to a regional degree of whatever you want to do. Now there's like you can't even touch an animal without certifications. So I am tr- trying to get like my trainings and certificates in, so it's been taking some time. And then Anna, you have completely jumped ship, it seems like, to <laughs> me at least, going from, from a PhD program to patent law. So what was that transition like for you, and, and how are you feeling about it right now? Um, so the transition for me is still kind of ongoing um, because I'm mostly working with lawyers, but the nice part about it is most of the lawyers I work with also came from the same background I did. So they also have a PhD in a STEM field because um, we're working in life sciences, uh, intellectual property law. But um, I still kind of going from a lab to going from like a typical office job is very odd one and B, or I guess two, (laughs) is that um, most of what I'm doing is legal work, not scientific work. So there's like a significant learning curve. So that's kind of where I'm at right now uh, with transitioning between the two fields. Do you have like a a lot of PhDs with different diverse fields too? Or did you find a lot of people where you're working with like very similar backgrounds to you? So I actually, the really interesting thing about um, when I was hired, I so my background is kind of interesting in a way because my undergraduate degree is in biochemistry and molecular biology, but my graduate degree is in physical organic chemistry. So they actually told me at the time that they had hired me specifically because I could, I had the ability to understand subject matter in both fields and to prosecute not only biotech, 
but chemical patents, which are two like really, really hot fields right now, especially in light of the pandemic and everything. Um, most of the people I work with have a background in either one or the other, except for my direct boss, who also has the same background as I do. So we're like the only two people who are interdisciplinary. Um, everyone else is kind of like, their background's genetics or just straight organic chemistry, and they're like very pigeonholed into what they wanna do. Um, but for me, it's kind of, I get a bunch of different projects thrown at me. Um, and my boss as well, because we have this background. And if anytime there's a project that combines the two, we're put onto that project. Uh, so it's um, it's actually really interesting that my background fit really well into what they were looking for, uh, not just because of grad school, but because of my undergraduate experiences as well. So that's that's worked really well for me. Okay, I was actually had a question for, for Java is, what was like did you always know that you wanted to go the career path that you're going because it is a very like um i feel like a lot of people from rpi pick that type of path right after grad school or for you are you using it more as a stepping stone to something else you want to do in the future so for myself i mean i start off in grad school thinking i want to be a professor because that's how everyone guides you and you find excitement for it and then you go through the graduate school process and you're like, well, there are so many political hurdles, so much stress in academia, where some people thrive on it and others who really enjoy it. But as I went through my career, I slowly went away from it. I wanted to go to then shifting to become an industry researcher and, you know, making the money. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also took some or not took some, kind of joined in some extracurricular such as the CBIS GPA. I did the, in our department, we had the graduate council and there were a lot of other opportunities to explore like business development in creating startups with like the hackathons. There was NSF I-Corps, which is this small, well, it's not big small, but kind of a push from the National Science Foundation, putting some seed money into commercializing technologies developed by universities and trying to push them out from just academic use to a industry manufactured and kind of system to actually use it in the real world. So getting to participate in those, I really kind of found a place where I felt at home because it was not just becoming a scientist where you were technically trained, it was being able to communicate, it was able to explore different ways to use your skill set. So that's where I really found like a niche where I thought I would really like for my future. But the hard part about that is that you also need more experiences and more successes in that route. So I approached it like that, trying to go into what I wanted to go with regulatory and business development early on. But because of the pandemic, a lot of those positions kind of shifted away from me. And it was really hard getting my foot in the door in any way. So during the pandemic, most of my work was trying to find networking opportunities, trying to find anybody who would chat with me. I've talked to so many people around the world who are happily, I'm very thankful for everybody who was able to support me in any way. Like I call a friend who had this other friend who was like, yeah, we'll chat. Whatever I can do for you, we'll chat. It didn't come to fruition at that end because they are also, again, the pandemic really shifted a lot of things that if you didn't had it planned out, 
like, I mean, I didn't find out that I wanted this route to the end of my career. So that really was helpful to see how many, how much people want to support me. But even with chatting with them and realizing my actual background again in like in vitro models, not a lot of companies wanted that experience. The translational experience they wanted were like from an animal or from the cells to an animal and how much you learned about regulatory or had experience with regulatory. So then throughout my work or throughout my time during the pandemic, I started shifting away from focusing on my dream job and kind of shifting as you were saying, a stepping stone, kind of pushing into getting more scientific experiences that broaden my expertises. And that's where I kind of stumbled upon this position. So honestly, on LinkedIn, it was really advertised in a way where it's like, you know, I could take this, take my skills and kind of mesh everything as a biomedical engineer. You kind of have this kind of diverse skill set. It's applicable and you, everybody wants a little bit of everything. And then you kind of mesh it to something different. So weirdly enough, as they call it a postdoc, but it's actually an O-Rise fellow and a scientist position. But yeah, it was a fortunate place to be. So I've taken this now to get now a skill set that ranges from cells to complex model, complex in vitro models, now to these complex animal models in the Washington DC area. So I hope this is actually a great type. But I know for in an objective sense, this would be invaluable experience for anybody. So do you guys think, um, like it sounds like you guys had to adapt your skills that you gained in undergrad and grad school for the positions you have now or the positions that you were applying for. Do you think that like what you guys did in grad school and what like the department or the school prepared you for was enough or like do you now wish that you worked on other stuff I know Joppa you talked about a lot of the extra extracurriculars you did and I know that because I worked with you on some of that but uh like what else do you think could have been done either by the school or like in general to help you for alternative careers um or like in general careers outside of the traditional university postdoc to tenured track faculty yeah, I think that is actually, I have a funny story about this. So I did the the three minute thesis at RPI that I guess Colleen hosts every year. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically you're given three minutes to describe your thesis or, or some research topic you're working on to an audience that's like young teenager or, or below. So it's like, uh, it's an exercise in simplifying really, really hard to understand concepts into something that's accessible to everyone. I ended up winning first place. So I put that on my resume and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And it was something I literally did during shutdown when I couldn't get to lab. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. There's a cash prize in it. Like, let's do it. And um, I ended up winning, put it on my resume and everyone, it's so funny when I started working at my law firm, everyone when they were introducing me was like she won the three minute thesis at her grad school and she's really good at talking about scientific topics to us who don't know science so that actually really helped me is like that almost interdisciplinary experience of um and my my advisor is to thank for that too because he was a huge proponent of 
if the average person can't understand your science, why, why do we bother? Like, why are we bothering with this? So yeah. um, for me, honestly, the thing that transitioned most into working at a law firm from working in a lab was my presentation skills, uh, my oral speaking, oral presentation skills, and then also um, just being able to condense like large amounts of information that's complex into something that's less complex and be able to lower the walls between someone who's just a lawyer and someone who's just an inventor, for example, because a lot of our clients are PhDs and they don't have legal experience and they're speaking, they're like high level jargon. And these lawyers are like, we don't yeah. know what this is. Like, can you, can you help us here? Um, so that's been a major skill in grad school that, um, that has helped me. I'm assuming that'll be a little bit of a different answer for Joppa because you're actually still working um, like in a lab. I mean, on my end, some things I wish grad school kind of pushed more were things that I tried as well to push for is exposure to the different fields available. That's not just purely academic. Like I was saying before, uh, my experiences with any NSF high core or hackathons or any kind of these extracurriculars came a bit later than I'd wanted to be. Like, I think you in the same manner, Anna, you had a limited idea of what a patent lawyer even was or how to go about it. Right. Like, I didn't understand regulatory until I had a conversation with a friend maybe a few months before I defended. Because I was very confused of where I wanted where I wanted to find my niche, where I found passion for something. Again, I wanted to be an academic professor, then I wanted to do industry research, and it was like, I talk well, but where does that really lead? What are my career opportunities? And that's where, at least I try to heighten my software skills. So again, participating in, as well, the CBIS GPA back in my dad, and as well, the Biomedical Engineering's Graduate Council. And yeah, that's where I built a lot of the ideas where I knew how to plan, I knew how to collaborate because you had to talk to, in the BMAGC, the department heads, mm -hmm. how to, so grad student, like lifestyle work, what did they need to develop, what do I need to develop professionally. Then with a CBIS GPA, how do you get scientists to collaborate? How do you get people excited for someone else's jargon? And what is a way to build a community? So I wish grad school kind of showed off more than just the focusing on research perspective. Like, again, that's where I wanted to go for my like ideal job. But shifting towards my postdoc, it kind of does prepare you because it is a kind of similar work. You are more independent now. You've learned to plan experiments, analyze your data, do all these technical things and at least especially in my lab, since most of them, actually all of them, have done animal work. They've really never touched a cell. They've done similar molecular biology, but now where they're shifting into is kind of true biomedical engineering application where they're now trying to implant and trying to use drug delivery systems that I'm more familiar with and they're not so much. So... You can't really tell what expertise and what skills you pick up along the way. So most of the skills I'll be applying now mm -hmm. are things I actually had done in my first lab back at RPI. Oh, yeah. Back in my master's versus really what I've been doing in my, my thesis. But my thesis gave me the expertise to figure out, okay, how do I actually plan this project? How do I put my own spin on things? And how do I just 
make this an independent project. I think that's what you said about soft skills is really interesting because at least in, in my lab with my advisor, he was very industry savvy um, just because he worked with a lot of companies um, and he knew what he had a lot of people hired out of his lab, especially like Samsung, um, big companies like that. And he always used to tell us that, you know, he, like no one does exact, almost no one does what they did for their PhD after their PhD. And very few people are going to care what you did during your PhD, other than the fact that you got one. Um, so I feel like that plays into that too, is employers are understanding of like, okay, you developed this project, you pursued it over like five to seven years, you have the capacity to learn and plan. We're not gonna be like, submit like a, I guess, dismissive of you if you just don't know this particular skill set, because you can learn, you have a PhD. And that's what a lot of like in my experiences with my job, even um, the technologies that I work with are like things that are adjacently um, related to what I did in grad school. But then, for example, like recently, my boss came out and was like, hey, we need your help with an artificial intelligence like research type project. And I was like, I really don't know anything about that. And she was like, it's fine. Cause you have a PhD, you can learn and you know what it takes to like get on that level with these inventors. Um, so I feel like that having seen what like the job prospects are like, and also having friends who've graduated and taken new jobs with my advisor, always saying that to us, I'm realizing how true that is. Um, and it's not like you're pigeonholed into what you did for your PhD because it's already so niche. There's so many different ways that you can go with it in different directions. And every experience is going to give you a new skill or a new um, experience, which is, which is great. I actually have issue with that because as a chemical engineer, it makes sense. But as a biomedical engineering, mm-hmm. you're facing a lot more walls because mm-hmm. no one knows mm-hmm. what a biomedical engineer is in any sense. I was about to ask that because I was like, it it would suck to have spent so long on like a research project that you think has a lot of significance and a lot of translational capacity and then no no employer thinking that it matters because they don't really understand. And them assuming that because you're a biomedical engineer, you could do virtually anything in the scope of STEM. Um, So I don't know if like that was frustrating to deal with kind of throughout the application process. It was super frustrating. So most of when I was shifting over to applying to scientist industry positions, I had all the skill sets. I've had mm-hmm. six years of cell work, all the molecular biology yeah. assays, like anybody can ask for. Yep. But also a biomedical engineer. That filters you out because everyone wants a right. PhD in actual biology or right. chemistry or molecular biology. And I've had phone calls with HR people like, oh, you have all these skills, but we're not sure you're gonna make it through because you don't have the biological expertise. But I'm like, mm. that sucks. I never thought about that. And that's a hard part where I remember hearing one of our professors back at RPI who was saying, yeah, you're a biomedical engineer, so you should be able to do this and that. But the people in the outside world think biomedical engineers are typically implants. Right. All these like big, large kind of tissues not a cell molecular biologist. So there's a difference between what the school views the program as and what the employer views the degree as. So there's a disconnect there. What academia does versus industry. 
It, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Industry is very structured, not quite structured in that way, but very narrow in its way of how it defines things. So any, any last thoughts on the struggles of being a biomedical engineer or a <laughs> chemical engineer PhD before we wrap this one up, guys? All right, if that's the case, that's gonna wrap us up for episode five of the PhD cast. If you're interested in a specific topic or have some questions that you want us to answer, please feel free to send us an email at cbisgpa at rpi.edu or message us on any one of our various social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. With that, we hope all your breeding schemes aren't too complicated and that all your differences are significant. See you guys.